0: Before we do get started, I do want to let you know this program is brought to you in part by the financial support of our listeners, and I want to thank John so much for giving a one-time donation through support.greatdetectives.net. Also, over at our Patreon site, we have two monthly uh, supporters, with Philip joining at the Shamus level of uh, $4 or more a month, and Jeff at the rookie level of $2 or more a month. Thank you so much for your support. You can become a Patreon sponsor at patreon.greatdetectives.net. Well, now it's time for today's episode of The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. The original air date, June the 14th, 1950. And the title is Face to Forget.
1: Get this and get it
0: straight. Crime is a
1: sucker's road and those who travel it wind up in the gutter of the prison of the grave. There's no other end, but they never (laughs) learn.
2: For your enjoyment, Wrigley Spearmint Chewing Gum brings you Raymond Chandler's most famous character in The Adventures of Philip Marlowe. To make every day more enjoyable, treat yourself often to refreshing, delicious Wrigley Spearmint Chewing Gum. Here's a taste treat you can enjoy indoors, outdoors, at work, or at play. The cool, long lasting mint flavor refreshes you. The smooth, steady chewing helps keep you fresh and alert, adds enjoyment to whatever you're doing. Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum. Healthful, refreshing, delicious. Now, with Gerald Moore, starred as Philip Marlowe, we bring you tonight's exciting story The Face to Forget.
3: All right, all right, wise guy. I told you once you couldn't come up here to this room, Marlowe.
1: That's right, landlord, but I found all I needed.
3: Well, you won't be able to use it after I teach you some manners. Snoopy! I'll teach you to break into a respectable room and house. not leading with your rights, you won't. get up. Come on, get up! Okay.
1: I'll teach you something about cooperation, landlord. All I wanted to do was look this room over, and I was nice about
3: asking. Uh, Cut it out. I I got my rules.
1: and I got a job to do. I've been looking for Dave Stroud for a solid week and his trail finally led me here.
3: I, I got to look out for my rumor's privacy.
1: Sure, sure. Only Dave Stroud checked out of here this afternoon. He's no longer your guest. Anyway, I found enough in here to know Stroud's taking the train tonight for San Francisco. So that winds up my lecture and I'm happy to say my business with you and your charming establishment. Good night, landlord. Good night, landlord. I stepped out of the cheap, musty rooming house into the warm night. I felt for the first time in a week that I wasn't wasting my time. That by tomorrow I'd know why a quiet young guy named Dave Stroud had suddenly dropped everything that gave life some sense. Everything from a lovely girl to a fine job and vanished. Completely. I stopped in a phone booth, called my client, and told her to meet me in an hour at the Leopard Spot, the bar in her hotel. Then I made a reservation on the 10 o'clock train for San Francisco. Went home and threw a toothbrush and shirt into a bag, and when I walked into the leopard spot, I was right on time. I found my client, Ellen Wyatt, in a booth near the back. The soft rose lights touching her face made me wonder all over again what kind of pressure it could possibly have been to drive Dade Stroud away from a girl like this.
4: I tried to wait in my apartment upstairs, Phil, but I just couldn't. Is it good news?
1: I hope so, Ellen. (laughs) That broken-down rooming house over in East L.A. paid off all right.
4: Dave was staying there?
1: Yeah, he had been, under the name of Donald Stranigan.
4: But why would he take a place like that? He must have plenty of money with him.
1: Oh, well, the city's cluttered with those joints. They're as common as tin cans. (laughs) He figured you can't look into all of them. We were just lucky.
4: Then he knows what he's doing. There's nothing wrong with him like... like amnesia.
1: No, it's something else, Ellen.
2: Good evening, Miss Wilde. Martini? Uh, Yes, please. For you, sir?
1: Martini sounds fine. Yes, sir. Right.
4: Marlow, maybe that hunch I had about gambling... Maybe it was right after all. Couldn't some kind of terrible jam with gamblers do this to Dave?
1: Yeah, it might. But I checked that and drew a blank. Say, listen, Ellen, the description of Dave I got at that rooming house isn't too complete. Uh, That snapshot I asked you about, you bring it? Oh, yes. Oh, good. It's in my purse. Ah. Uh,
4: Oh, (laughs) here. Ah. That was taken on our first date four years ago.
1: Four years ago, huh? Those years made quite a change in both of you.
4: Yes. Dave and I are good for each other, Phil. Oh, sure. I I only hope that the next four years... Here we years.
3: are.
5: martini. Very dry. Oh. Oh, thank you, sir.
4: Well, I, I wish we had the kind of news we could toast.
1: Maybe we will. Sooner than you think.
4: You've got a new lead? You know where Dave is?
1: Well, close enough to be pretty sure he's taking the 10 o'clock to San Francisco. San Francisco? Yeah, and so am I. Uh, Phil. How about coming down to the station with me, huh? Uh,
4: me? Uh, but do you think that's wise? What if he saw me first?
1: Well, it's worth a chance for you to point him out to me. What do you say, baby? Got something to drink, too, now?
4: Yes, and I'd better do it fast before I start to ball. Tears would be awful in a martini. No luck, Phil. I still haven't seen you. Wait a
1: minute. How about that one, Ellen? Over there at the cigar counter.
4: Oh, the fellow in the T-shirt? Yeah. Uh-uh. Dave couldn't look that sloppy. And besides, he's taller. Oh. Uh, well, that's it, Phil.
1: Yeah. Well, I guess we missed him. I better get aboard, huh?
4: This kind of scares me. You, you don't think Dave just pretended to be leaving it, that he tricked you?
1: No, no. Those leads weren't planted. They weren't that good. Don't worry, baby. Dave will be on this train when it pulls out. I'll bet my last buck on it.
4: Find him for me, Phil.
1: Sure. You just keep that chin up. I will. Okay.
4: you call me the very first chance Land you get. train
6: right. sixty-one. Oh. Pardon me, lady. I'm sorry. Hey, you, you and that brown bag. Me?
0: Yeah, just
6: a short minute, my friend. Unless you happen to favor dirty shirt size 17. <laughs> You're in for a big disappointment. <laughs> what are you talking about? <laughs> well, I think you made a small mistake there. Isn't that my bag?
1: I'm afraid not, mister. CP is in Philip, M is in Marlowe. Well, how do you like that? I
6: saw you pick it up back there at the information booth. (laughs) That's where I left mine. (laughs) I could have sworn it belonged to me. I'm sure sorry. It's all right. Happens (laughs) to
1: everybody sooner or later. Yeah, well, now that's mighty big
6: of you, friend. Say, you're going to be on old 61 for Frisco, too, aren't you? Right, so, yeah. Well, let's call this an introduction. Arbac's my handle. Manny Arback, on the road for Pfeiffer plumbing fixtures. Yes, sir. I'll see you on board, friend. Not
1: much doubt about that.
6: No, we might get up a little game. Fun, huh? Oh, fine. Yeah, well, I better shake a leg and get my bag. I'll find you, all right. I never forget a face.
1: Maybe I ought to cut my head off. (laughs) I stopped off in my compartment just long enough to drop my suitcase. Then as we pulled out, I moved through the train to the dining car and picked a seat where I could keep an eye on the rest of the tables for Dave Stroud, who even if I didn't recognize his face, I knew from his fiancée would handle a knife-and-fork European style. He likely'd order liver and bacon and drink tea without sugar, and would probably be dressed in willed tweeds with his shirt collar open. Well, as soon as I sat down, the car began to fill. My table companion, a quiet tab collar type, had his own business and knew how to mind it. Almost 100%. Which he did for the 15 minutes it took him to eat. Well,
5: I don't know why food always tastes better on a train, but it does. Thanks for letting me share the table with you.
1: Oh, not at all. Uh-huh.
6: Perhaps I'll see you later in the club car. We might have a nightcap. Yeah, it's a deal. Fine. Hmm. So long.
5: So
1: long.
6: Oh, so there you oh, are, Marlowe. Oh, fine. Hey, I've been looking high and low for you, my friend. What you doing in here? They serve nothing but food in this car, you know. <laughs> Say, who's your pal? <laughs> I don't know,
1: I don't know. He was here fifteen minutes and we didn't get that far.
6: Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. You do? Yeah, those quiet birds give me the willies, too. You know, friend, I've seen him someplace before, and I never forget a face. You didn't catch his name, huh? He didn't throw it. He didn't throw. <laughs> you like that, huh? <laughs> yes, sir, you're yeah. right on, my friend. Well, it'll come to me. Faces are kind of a hobby with me. I meet a lot of people, but I never forget a Hey. Have you lost somebody in here, the way you keep looking around? Yeah,
1: but I think I found him again.
6: Hey, what's up? Where are you going? Play
1: follow the lead. I'll see you all back.
6: Hey, uh, Marlowe, come back. You dropped something here.
1: In spite of the fog kicked up by the traveling typhoon who never forgot a face, I'd managed to catch a glimpse at the door of a bunch of tweeds and an open collar on a bill that exactly fit the four-year-old snapshot in my wallet. I bucked a huddle of undecided dowagers blocking the aisle but managed to keep him in sight all the way back to car 16 without being seen. There I watched him unlock compartment L and go inside. I was convinced it was Dave Stroud, but at this point I had to be sure. I went to look for the conductor and finally found him tucked away at a lonely table back in the club car. As intent on his ticket as a cheat at Solitaire. I figured I could afford the time now, so I decided to wait. I headed back for the seat and I ran into my dinner partner the tab color
5: well hello again <laughs> you're a little early for that night Cap, but sit down anyway thanks oh by the way i'm uh, roy Tarney.
1: oh mine's marlowe philip marlowe
5: philip marlowe why i've yeah. read that name many times you're the famous private detective
1: well <laughs> private detective anyway <laughs> glad to know you Tarney.
5: <laughs> privilege for me oh are you looking for a match here yeah no keep them keep them i have others oh thanks thanks again
6: are you on a case now, Marlo, or, or shouldn't I ask?
1: Well, as a matter of fact, I. Hey, Marlo. Uh, yo
6: Marlo, man, are you hard to hang on to? But you're mighty lucky mm. I'm honest, my friend. You see this?
1: Yeah, I see. It's my wallet.
6: Yeah. When you bolted out of the dining car, you dropped it on the seat. I found it for you. Oh. Nothing fell out but this picture here. And is she all right, man? Oh, man. Who is she, boy? The name, I mean, huh?
1: Don't tell me. I bet you you've seen it before. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, right. I and
6: so. I never forget a face.
1: Uh huh. Well, thanks. Now, if you let me have it, I'm very grateful. Yeah, sure, the...
6: sure. Glad to be of service, my friend. No. Anytime I can... Well, speaking of familiar faces, this is the gentleman that you had dinner with, huh?
1: That's right, Albeck. This is the gentleman. Uh, Mr. Albeck, Mr. Tawney. for better or worse, till your destination do you
6: part. How do you do? Tarney? Tarney, Tarney, Tarney. Now, that's funny. You know, I was just telling Marlowe here that I recognized you from some place. That's uh, very unlikely. I have a fair memory myself. <laughs> I don't remember you. Well, I don't know. I, I, I'm pretty good, but. Hey, wait, wait a minute, I'm getting it. Sure, sure. Oh, this is silly. Why, I saw you tonight in the railroad station. No, no, that's impossible. I was so late and nearly missed the train. <laughs> Me too. Only you had a good reason. Oh, yes, sir, my friend. You were kissing the little woman goodbye. I couldn't see her too well, but she was quite a looker. And judging from the way you were going at it, you... <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, now, wait, wait a minute, friend. I, I didn't mean any offense. I, I was just kidding you along. Yeah, well, I guess I'll, uh go by my way into a little poker. Excuse me. I
5: suppose there has to be one on every train.
1: Yeah, yeah. They help the ride like a square wheel. Yeah.
5: (laughs) Well, I think I'll go read a while, Marlowe. Good luck on your case.
1: conductor climb out of his pile of tickets to stretch <clears throat> i went over introduced myself and asked the 64 dollar question
3: uh, car 16 compartment l huh well let's see oh here it is mr Marlowe. that room's occupied by one daniel stacy daniel stacy
0: yeah,
1: sure same initials as dave stroud
3: but we're not carrying any dave
1: stroud tonight don't bet on that conductor it was that simple. I walked up through the train to car 16, and when I got to the door of compartment L, I'd already decided on how to handle Dave. To convince him that he had to go back to Ellen Wyatt regardless of what had happened to him. Yeah, I had it all figured until I heard it. It had come from inside. The door was unlocked, but the lights were out. When I got them on again, I realized that nothing was simple. Ever. Stretched out on the floor of Dave's room was Manny Auerbach, staring straight up as he rocked with the pitch of the train, the side of his head against a sharp steel corner, his eyes already beginning to glaze. He
6: said he knew I'd remember sometime. Remember
1: what? Why did you come here, Manny? He
6: said i remember. Manny!
1: Manny! Marlowe, she'll move again. Let's see you tell this, Ellen Wyatt. Who's that? What? Ooh! Oh.
2: To make every day more enjoyable, treat yourself often to refreshing, delicious Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum. The lively, full-bodied, real mint flavor cools your mouth, moistens your throat, freshens your taste, and the chewing itself gives you a little lift, helps you keep going at your best. So for real chewing enjoyment that's refreshing and long-lasting, always keep Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum handy. Healthful, delicious Wrigley's Spearmint Gum will make every day more enjoyable. Now with our star, Gerald Moore, the second act of Philip Marlowe and tonight's exciting story... The Face to Forget.
1: Either it had been the flat of the pistol crashing against the side of my head or my head crashing against the stone-hard floor of the compartment. Then it turned light into dark and left me with a welt behind one ear that size and shape of a cue ball. I couldn't tell which when I had both my eyes open, I knew that it didn't matter. That nothing mattered really, except that I was staring into Manny Auerbach's dead face. While only inches away, a pair of feet were moving. Feet that belonged to Dave Stroud, whose suitcase and toe was on his way out. One hand already on the doorknob. I went for him, on the knees!
3: Let go! Let go, I see! Oh.
1: By the time I, w- I was off the floor and after him, it was well out in front. Wrestling with a heavy steel door at the end of the empty passageway slowed him down. When we reached the platform between the cars, he was almost mine. But then suddenly a hand shot out of the dark, grabbed a fistful of shirt front, and spun me hard against the opposite door.
3: No! Oh!
1: A hand that belonged to a man in a tab color. Mr. Roy Taney plus a shiny .22 automatic and minus his club car velvet voice.
5: Get up, Marlo. We've got a little talk coming.
1: At this stage, it'll be a pleasure. Believe me.
5: We'll see. What do you want with Dave Stroud?
1: I'm a census taker who's real... Cut it.
5: Time is running short, Marlowe. When you get off at this stop coming up, you stay off.
1: Yeah? What's your angle?
5: Dave. He still needs my help, and he's still gonna have it.
1: No matter who he kills?
5: Kills? What's that supposed to mean?
1: Manny Auerbach, the chummy one who couldn't forget faces. He's very dead back in Dave's compartment.
5: Well, then... And that loudmouth wasn't just a blowhard salesman. After all, he was what Dave's been running from one of those lousy card shop
1: Slips, huh, honey?
5: Yeah, but they don't count, Mr. Detective. Nothing counts anymore but Dave getting out of a jam that can cost him his hide. Just for the record, that game back in L.A. three months ago that cost Dave every cent he had plus ten grand he didn't was about as level as the rest of that knee-pants town ever gets. Which makes you what? Two things, smart Alec. First, a guy from Detroit, a real town, who doesn't like a lousy fix. And second, I like a fix even less when the sucker on tap is my own brother. Now, people, get back away from that door. The station's on that side. I wouldn't want you to run for it and get shot before you got to say a few words. Back over here, Marlo. Uh, Take
1: it easy with that gun, huh? They go off, you know.
5: All right, the pitch. Let's have it now. What's Dave to you? Ellen Wyatt. Mean anything? Not very much. But Dave is sorry about that. So when you get back to your client, Carter, you tell it California. just like you are and stay cheerful. Just
3: stop, Carter. Carter, gentlemen.
5: Oh, uh, conductor, this uh, this train wait here a while. I mean, is there any time to get off and stretch?
3: No, sir. Just stop long enough to pick up a little mail, leave a little mail once in a while, take on a passenger. Hardly ever, though. Carter folks aren't much on traveling. Oh, but by the way, aren't you the gentleman who was looking for Mister Stacy?
1: Uh, yeah. I found him, thanks.
3: Oh, don't mention it. Glad to be of service. Say, don't get too close to the edge here, gentlemen. Carter! Carter, California!
1: We, uh, we were talking about Ellen Wyatt, Tony. Why didn't precious brother Dave ever let her know that he had to lay low? That he was in a jam with gamblers? A bunch of roses with card and clothes could have gone a long way, or again, there's the telephone... Oh,
5: button that up, Marlowe. I don't know any of the details. Maybe the kid didn't want to know he couldn't stay away from the pasteboards. Maybe he just didn't want it to worry. Anyway, that's not the point. And what is? That a broken heart beats a broken skull seven times a week. You should know that much, Pete. So? So I don't want you, the girl, or anyone else to know where Dave is heading. At least not until I get back to L.A., buy my lonesome, and call a few spades just that.
1: Like they do in Detroit, maybe, huh?
5: Like they do in Detroit, no, maybe. You tell the Wyatt babe I'll look her up then. Now you get over there at the door and you take your choice.
1: Jump or get pushed?
5: Jump, push, or shot. Go on, Marlow. This is where you get off. <clears throat> on. The longer you wait, the hotter it's going to be. Name it. Jump, push, or shot.
1: I couldn't say much for the alternatives. But one look back over my shoulder at the gaping twenty-two automatic level at my head and Tani's ice-cold gray eyes above made up my mind for me. Jump, it had to be! Remember one thing about Carter, California. The right of way was more sand than stone. I, I was grateful. Uh,
7: Carter Station, Willis Hansen speaking. The Limited left ten minutes ago. No, no package for you, Miss Lillis, I'm sure, sure, I'm sure. Huh? Me snapping at you. Now listen, Miss the Brass of some people. Hey, what happened to you, son?
1: I tripped. Dad, this is important. Can you tell me where the Limited stops next?
7: Well, is anybody getting on at Murdoch Corner? No, 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 the uh, first
1: real stop. A good-sized town.
7: Let's see... Smoke cigars, son?
1: No, no, no. Look, Dad, this counts. Now, come on, tell me, will you?
7: Yeah, yeah, sure. Well, now, uh, there's Fulton. That's a half-hour wait. Oh. Uh, you got a match, please, son?
1: Oh, yeah, here. Yeah. Here's a whole book, keep Now, uh, tell me, how far is Fulton?
7: Oh, 40, maybe 50 miles. Upgrade right on the road. How can better. I get there
1: in a hurry? I got to catch that train.
7: Well, uh, if you got a car, you can... Uh, Where can I with... rent a
1: car or get a cab? <laughs>
7: <laughs> not a chance, honey. Oh, excuse me, Jake's calling from Bakersfield. He's uh, he's expecting a grandchild.
1: Hooray for Jake. Now listen to me, Dad. There's a dead man on the Limited and this killer as well and I was tossed off the train. Now let's take the business.
7: What? Well, 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 in that case, let's call ahead and get the police. No, I don't want, want that. that. Well, uh, why not, son?
1: Because for one thing, the killer may have been justified. Self-defense and the sight of the law will toss him into a lot of panic. He'll only end up in more gunplay. And for another, I have a very personal axe to grind.
7: Uh, getting tossed off the train, huh? Yeah,
1: among other things. Now, will you tell me that coupe out there? Is it yours?
7: Yeah, but I can't For fifty bucks. Take my car. You're a straight... Stri- cash? Cash.
1: Here. Also, here's my credentials. I'm a private detective out of L.A. I'll get ah. your car back to you as soon as possible. I'll pay you another 50 when I do. Ah. Now, give me the keys, will you? Quick.
7: Yeah, yeah, sure, 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 okay. sure. H- here, here, it's one in the middle.
1: Thanks, Dad, and don't worry. I'll drive real ca... Re- oh,
7: oh, what's the matter, son? Well, you're staring like you don't feel so good. What is it? Uh, your head, maybe?
1: Yeah. Yeah, my head, maybe. I ought to have it examined. Sometimes it's real slow coming up with the truth.
7: The truth?
1: What do you mean, son? I mean, I got a big fat hunch, a hunch that I may be able to stop a second murder if I make it to Fulton in time. So long, Dad. Thanks a lot. You've been a great help. My apologies and congratulations to Jake. <laughs> Like the station agent himself, Willard Hansen's Coupe was a little less than spry. But with the accelerator jammed hard to the floor and only a straight, empty highway ahead, I managed to keep it at a straining 70 most of the way. And 50 minutes later, when I tore into Fulton and followed the street markers to the station, a long, low, welcome sound in the night told me I was on time. The train was just getting underway again. I slammed to a stop at the end of the depot piled out of the coupe and started to run for the last car. But I changed my mind. The train could chug on its merry way without me. After all, it was going without Dave Stroud and his big brother. The two men were walking down the deserted platform toward me. I slid back into the shadows of a pile of crates and waited, my hand tight on the thirty-eight in my pocket, suddenly positive that my hunch was now a sure thing. Roy Tarney was not Dave's brother, but he was the one who had murdered Manny Al back in car 16, compartment L., and he was ready to try murder again. All
5: right, Straw,
6: that's far enough. Hold it there. Tarney, you're out of your mind. You've got no reason to kill me. I'll never say anything. Ellen knows that. That's why I ran. I could never turn Ellen over
5: to the police. I I love her. Oh, yeah, sure, you're nuts about it. You've got lots of reasons to be, haven't you? Reasons like Ellen crossing you up for me in a tall stack of dough. Reasons like knowing that we're both responsible for knocking off our ex-boss to come into that dough. Sure, kid, you got lots of reasons to love her. But
6: Tarney, I tell you I do.
5: I ran away, didn't I? Oh, but of course, Mr. Stroud, of course you ran so that you could wait for a smart time in the smart place to try blackmail. No,
6: no,
3: that's not it. I ran because I love Ellen. Because whatever she's done has been your fault.
5: Oh, no, kid, you got it all wrong. The lady was the pilot all the way. Even to hire in a lousy peeper named Marlowe to tag you said so I'd know where to get my hands on you. The,
6: the man on the floor in my compartment? The dead man?
5: That was a loudmouth salesman with a memory for faces. He would have spoiled everything if he'd remembered that he saw me with Ellen in the railroad station and passed it on to Marlow. I had to shut him up and then give the peeper a big cock and bull story about you being my brother and in hot water with gamblers. And
6: Marlow was the other one, the one who grabbed for me. That's right, Straw.
5: That was Marlow. Too bad he didn't grab better, isn't
6: he? Yeah, perfect what?
5: shame, Tony. Well, you
3: dirty lawless son! He's got a
5: gun. Makes two of us. Shut up!
3: Is he dead, Marlo.
1: Yeah, Dave. Even in Detroit, he'd be called dead. Come on, Dave. We got some telephone calls to make. The police, for one.
6: All right. Marlo, is, is all this really true?
1: Yeah, I'm afraid so, Dave. The girl you wouldn't turn in for murder wanted to murder you. Leave it, kid, all at once. It'll be easier later on that way.
6: Yeah, sure. Thanks, Marlowe, for getting here when you did. You saved my life.
1: Well, not exactly. A guy named Willis Hansard gets part credit for that. Guy who runs a railroad station at Carter, California, and also smokes cigars and eh, sometimes runs out of matches.
6: <laughs> what does that have to do with it?
1: Everything, Dave. See. Hans had needed a light, and I gave him a book of matches that Roy Taney had given me earlier in the club car. I hadn't noticed them then, but I did when Hans had used them. They came from the Leopard Spot, Dave.
6: The Leopard Spot? Yeah. The the cocktail
3: lounge at Ellen's hotel. That's right.
1: And I couldn't buy Taney's having them as just coincidence. It tied him into Ellen too tight. A hunch said so. Wait here, will you, kid? it will only be a couple of minutes. I've got a long distance call to make before we get in touch with the police. To
6: Ellen? But what are you going to tell her, Marlowe?
1: Anything, Dave. Anything that'll keep her right where she is, ready and waiting for what's going to turn out to be the, uh, L.A. police. I won't be long, kid. After the telephone call, Dave and I spent a long hour with the Fulton police, explaining why a man named Roy Taney was lying in their quiet railroad station face down in a pool of his own blood. And it was a long hour again with the railroad officials who arrived with their own set of questions. Well, it was four o'clock in the morning before we were finally aboard a train heading back for L.A. Dave Stroud and I sat opposite each other in silence through that bleak, empty hour when you can almost feel the day that's coming up nudge the one that's just gone by. (laughs) I was real glad to see it go. I sat there looking at Stroud and wondered if he'd ever heard the lyrics of a song a train whistle always makes me think of. It. My mammy done told me. When I was in knee pants, my mammy done told me, son, a woman's a two-face, a worrisome thing who'll leave you to sing the blues in the night.
2: Remember friends to make everyday more enjoyable treat yourself often to refreshing delicious Wrigley's spearmint chewing gum there's lots of cooling real mint flavor in every stick and chewing Wrigley's spearmint helps keep you feeling fresh and alert you feel better work better get more fun out of doing things so indoors outdoors wherever you go keep some healthful refreshing Wrigley's spearmint chewing gum handy to make everyday more enjoyable Treat yourself often to delicious Wrigley Spearmint Chewing Gum. <laughs> the Adventures of Philip Marlowe, bringing you Raymond Chandler's most famous character, star Gerald Moore, are produced and directed by Norman MacDonald and written for radio by Robert Mitchell and Jean Levitt. Featured in the cast were Harry Bartell, Sammy Hill, Roy Rowan, Parley Bear, Larry Dobkin, Elliot Reed, and Junius Matthews. The special music is composed and conducted by Richard Arant. The makers of Wrigley's Spearmint Chewing Gum invite you to be with us next week when Philip Marlowe says... This
1: time I tangled with three snakes. The first was made of gold, the second wore a mustache, and the third... Was in the bag, and each in its own way, poison.
2: Bob Stevenson speaking. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
7: This is Andrea J. Graham, author of the Web Surfer series, oh, and a Madam's Wife. You're listening to the Great Detectives of Old
0: Time Radio. Welcome back. Well, Marlowe got a bit rough with that uh, landlord. I don't particularly uh, want my landlord if I'm a renter or a, cooperating with a private investigator. Still a good episode. And uh, mysteries aboard trains are great. And there was so much when uh, train travel was at its height uh, that you could get out of a mystery set on a train. Of course, there were... Obvious uh, uh, stories like murder on the Orient Express, but there were a hundred others. Taking advantage of so many features of trains, going through dark tunnels, Empty compartments uh, and the ability, as in this story, to throw uh, throw somebody off a train and then uh, be able to get transportation to actually end up getting back on. I think you you there have been mysteries that have been set on airplanes, but I think it's a lot harder, particularly if you're trying to be realistic in dealing with uh, modern airplanes, which are often uh, so cramped. So Philip Marlowe on a train up good idea and a good story overall all right well that will do it for today we'll be back tomorrow with nick Carter. in the meanwhile do send your comments to box 13 at greatdetectives.net follow us on twitter at radio detectives and become one of our friends on facebook facebook.com slash radio detectives from boise idaho this is your host adam graham signing off